If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. All right, uh, this next one features a, a guy with a, uh, a great last name. Mr. McCready right there on the right-hand side. He's part Irish and part Scotch. 98% Irish. The 2% Scotch was just what his dad was drinking the night he got lucky with his mom. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and as we left you last week we had no idea what we were going to do for this episode well it's pretty obvious that if we are here and posting this on a wednesday that we have figured out what we were going to do and that is that we are going to make our audible that we had suggested and do dublin for this week dublin 2010 this is claire o'leary's request from patreon so we're going to do this and it should be very very interesting there's one massive massive thing that happens at this show that is very important in pearl jam history that we're going to spend a lot of time on i think a lot of people know that if you mention this show this is the thing that sort of gets brought up a lot so we'll talk a little bit about that actually we'll talk a little bit more about that and some other things that'll pop up but let's introduce us randy sobel over here john Farrar over there hello hello yeah i'm definitely one of those people that when you say pearl jam dublin that's the first thing that i go to immediately yeah and look i I guess we shouldn't hide the fact because what are we hiding here it's of the earth it's the debut of of the earth and I think what's important for this is that there was, a, and everybody that's kind of listened to this podcast understands this, in the 90s, mid-90s versus era, they were debuting all the Vitalogy songs, a little bit for the Vitalogy era, debuting stuff like Red Mosquito and then Brandon J and a little bit of Luke and Inhabit as well. And it kind of stopped for a little while. It kind of stopped trickling through. You'd get a couple of like a nothing as it seems and an I am mine played at bridge school shows. And then last soldier as well. That didn't really end up anything studio album wise, but for a while, this kind of thing 
of them playing a brand new song for the first time on a live setting didn't really happen. And then as much as I can recollect, I don't think it's happened since unless I'm really missing something here. It definitely hasn't. And I think yeah. like Jeff has said that they would like to do more of it, but they know that the way people are with their phones and recording that like immediately the next day there would be a shitty recording of it on YouTube. And they just don't want that. They're more protective of new material now. So, yeah, it hasn't happened since this show. I don't I don't agree with that. If you want it in good recording, it's coming out on a bootleg in a month. Let yeah. that be yeah. what that is. So I guess the whole idea comes from and, and you have to look at what of the earth is and of the earth never made a studio album. It's only been played 13 times scattered throughout a couple of years or so hasn't been played. I, I don't think since that Wrigley 2016 show. So it's, it's going on a, a couple of years now that they haven't paid attention to it. And who knows if they ever will. I, I'm, we're all rooting for it. Cause it's an amazing song. I'm holding but out hope that they're saving it for this new record. It's so tough. And I remember this was one of the questions. Uh, Mike and Stone did an AMA, I want to say, like right in the beginning of the pandemic. And that was one of the things I asked was about Of the Earth and whether or not we're ever going to see the studio recording, whether it was something that they try to rework for Gigaton. And Mike said something along the lines of, like, this is just something that Eddie has never felt like we've ever perfected in the studio. And now that we talk about the, all this, I wonder if there's a hint of, you know, okay, the fans already know this and I, we want the new album to be a total surprise, like totally brand new, unlike what Vitalogy was and all that. But also for all those Vitalogy songs, that became kind of a hearsay and bootleg thing instead of a wake up the next morning and, oh, well, there's new Pearl Jam, two new Pearl Jam songs or whatever. So I wonder if, Something like that went into it a little bit. I, I, my guess is that it was more for of the earth's sake, more that Ed, like like Mike was saying, Ed couldn't find the right take. I'm going to guess it's that. And honestly, I think it's kind of cool because there's you can count on one hand how many of these songs that are only live songs like this and, and falling down. Can you think of any others off the top of my head? I can't. Um, untitled. Fair. Okay. Fair yeah. untitled. Yeah, sure. And technically, Footsteps was never recorded for an album. Or B-Girl. In a true I, recording studio. Yeah, B-Girl yeah, too. Yeah, that's fair. I think those are different beasts, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think these are kind of questions that really... Uh, there's no way to answer them right now, so I'm just kind of planting the seeds in your minds and it's good discussion. It's good topic. Uh, we'll kind of get into a little bit more when we get into the actual song. You know, it's not something we see every day. Like I consider this moment of, of the earth being up there with the falling down version of red rocks, you know, performance wise too. That's how highly, highly I, I regard all this. So let's talk a little bit about our patron, Claire O'Leary, who is on the horizon leg tier, which we thank her so much for helping out in such a big way. 
And John, you're going to take this. You're going to read her a little story. This is her only show that she's ever been to. She's been a fan since 1992. So let's tell her story here. Yeah, pressure's on, pressure's on. She says, my story's a bit hazy at this stage since this is over 12 years ago. My girls are 18 and 16 now, so I guess they would have been very, very young at this point. She says, a night away from them was a real treat. My youngest brother was living in Dublin at the time, so I had a place to stay. The venue was called Ota Arena, or its old name, The Point. The energy in the place was exciting to my mind, and we got there, and they saw Ben Harper, I guess, was opening. And she says, then they started with Long Road. Arms Loft was one I didn't know, but I guessed it was a cover. And she said, I think it, at one point, Eddie said, Mike is 99% Irish, which you can tell goes over really well with the crowd. We'll get to that, too. Yeah. Uh, the weather on this day was a warm, nice, sunny day, and Eddie was saying, like Seattle, it's a beautiful place when the weather is like this. He called the venue a dump. And says he might remember bits and pieces being friends with Bono. And, you know, we've talked about Bono on stage with, with Pearl Jam. Let, let's not get, get back to that again. She says, Corduroy, Amongst the Waves, Nothing Man, and Given to Fly gave me chills. We're going to get to this, too. She says her brother was not a fan. So before the balcony fall happened, we left, but was told it was the best thing to do. Then she was brought to a gay bar in town. Yes, it was a night of two halves. Claire, you're going to need to expand on that story. <laughs> She says, sorry, it's not a great recollection of the night, but she's keen to see how we both rate the show. I want to mention real quick, I felt bad after last week, given it such a low score. Dan was nice enough to write in and say that he got a kick out of it. He took it all in good fun. So Very cool you, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Dan. This one, I don't. I think we'll get a little better rating. We'll see how it goes. But thank you so much, Claire, for your story and for your request. Let's get into this balcony thing for yeah. two seconds, because yeah. this is really interesting. And, and she kind of just, as a matter of factly mentioned it, and I read it, I'm like, balcony fall, what, what is this about? I, I had never heard about it before. Like, my intake of this show for years was of the earth, and that's all I knew. So I didn't know if this was something that made news, that made headlines, and it happened and we don't know when it happened. We don't know if it was during show. We don't know whether it was after the show. It feels like from the way that she was describing things that it happened after the show, but we didn't get her saying that she left early and missed songs. I, yeah. I that's hopefully we'll be able to get some clarification on that. But for the balcony fall, it was uh, a 36 year old man and he seemed to jump down onto the sound desk, but the fall was broken by a canopy, which covered the sound engineer. And people were in shock. They didn't know what happened. People were able to see that he was moving his leg and he was treated on site by the paramedics right away. Um, yeah, this is, this is weird because the band doesn't address it. The band doesn't say anything, and you'd think if the band had gotten wind of it or like seen all the paramedics and obviously taken them out on a stretcher, I, I would assume that's what happened. I, I don't think that actually says that here. Just he was treated by the medical staff at the venue. I would assume that they would have stopped the show of course, and yeah. made sure that he was okay, especially because seven days, eight days after this would be the 10-year anniversary of Roskilde. So that shit's on their mind, and it's always on their mind. So, yeah, it seemed as if, this is, this is a quote here, it seemed as if he was play-acting, got overexcited during the last song. Oh, okay, there we go, the mm, last song, okay. so it must have been during Ledbetter, yeah. and wanted to jump down and be in the middle of the crowd. Okay. Ooh. 
Yeah, interesting. Don't, don't do that, people. Like, don't. No, don't, of course don't not. do that. I'm There's gonna, probably some imbibing going on during the evening. I led to this. I was gonna make a generalization and say that nobody sober would be doing this. It doesn't say what his blood alcohol content was because I guess it's not important. But it is Ireland. <laughs> I don't want to make a joke of that, but yeah, it was it was not a smart thing, and thankfully it didn't lead to something a lot lot worse. Because when you think of a fall in Ireland, you immediately think of the Glenn Hansard situation that happened that kind of led to the, the writing of, of the song Falling Slowly. And yeah, that that's um, not a discussion that we want to get into for today, but just bringing it up because it does kind of have an intersect here, especially because that moment was what connected Glenn and Eddie together. So the only thing I can think of right now is just to get into the show because, you know, we don't have an answer to that. We don't have a good segue out of that. I don't think anybody ever would. But this was also the first night of the European tour that they did. It was like 11 dates, I think, in Europe, like June, July. So you have to be thinking we did the Guinea one. I believe it was the Heineken Opener Festival. We did that yeah. a couple months back. Yeah. And I'm sure anytime that they're in Europe in July, they do rock workers. So I'm sure they did that here. And what's interesting is this is also the last show that happened before this was exactly a month ago. And that was that what I call to be the greatest Pearl Jam show of all time from at least the 2000s era or 2010s, if you want to get really specific, but it's the greatest show that I've ever seen in the Madison Square Garden show. So there's kind of a an interesting stat that will come up connected to that. But the first thing that we're going to talk about is a version of Long Road here to open up the show. Hadn't been played since 2009. That's 28 shows. That is pretty long for a version of Long Road. So this crowd is getting a treat pretty early on. good way to start a show and the 2010s versions of long road i think really are special you really hear matt i thought was spectacular here like really crashing in on the accents and giving it that kind of feel that it's moving and like it's got this like kind of waves to it 
and then Ed picks it up at the end, gets really kind of impassioned on it, and then you get the modern versions where he'll give it to the crowd and do the call and response. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a very, very good opener. and Hard to believe they, they don't play. No, we only got it, what, two or three times this year? That's ridiculous. I think only two openers. Yeah, yeah. Should have been played the last show of the tour. I thought this was great. Yeah, I love this performance. I think that this was a top-notch performance of this song, and that's saying a lot because there are versions of this song that you're blown away by, and the first note for this, you can kind of feel just sort of this, like, not even tense energy, but like you mentioned with the waves and the moving of this song, and it felt like the fans were captivated and entranced by the story of this. And there's a difference between playing songs and just running through a song. And it's hard to explain, but some songs, even if they're not necessarily telling you like a beginning, middle of an end story, the music is able to create that vibe. And I thought that that happened here, where in the beginning you're building to something and you have these two big waves of momentum that happen. You know, that first chorus and the one that Ed starts kind of, you know, that whole part. And then once it gets to the end, like it feels like a real euphoric moment in this version. This was a very, very good elite level version of Long Road. I was very impressed by this. You know, the music is kind of lyrical and the way that the vocals and the music fit together the vocals like aren't super over the top like we talked about with some of the gigaton stuff where it's just too wordy the words get in do what they need to do the vocals and music complement each other very well and it takes you on kind of this ride and like this version i thought absolutely very very good i, I think i'm gonna add one more thing on to that kind of what you were saying because the lyrics are pretty simplified and you know they're they're not drawn out it's not crazy mary where he's explaining the whole entire story like a folk story it leads to the crowd member to interpret it however they may choose and they might have a moment in their life where they had lost somebody that's really special to them really important to them and you know maybe that and those lyrics are speaking to them in a different way than the next guy that's sitting there and, and he just loves the song and he's just kind of on the ride for the song. So I think that with those lyrics, it can have a different, and it, this goes back to the whole reason why they didn't want to make any more music videos because they wanted everybody to get an interpretation for themselves. I think you can sort of say that with a song like Long Road, that it's left up for interpretation and i, I really yeah. love that a lot of their great songs have that and this is obviously one of their best songs and for my money top three opener that they have okay we're gonna get into four songs in a row here once the fixer why go in corduroy and it feels like every single one of the it's like okay you get into once cool you get into fixer fine that's the single and then it's just building up to the big moment that you would think to be corduroy but the section actually ends with severed hand which is very interesting we can get to that in a second i got one thing that i guess i'm gonna use now and then i'll save my other stat for later but if you look at this show and you look at the stats for this show as i am on livefootsteps.org if you're not using our good friend Dave's website, livefootsteps.org, then I'm going to tell you to use it right now. That's it. Put in your shows, go check out other shows, go nerd out on it. But Long Road, as I mentioned, the last time it had been played was in October of 2009 before this show. 
Outside of the debuts, every single song in this set list was played at either the first night in MSG or the second. I find that to be really, really interesting for some reason. I guess because it is the first night of this run here, it's not like they're taking extreme chances on these. There's no Satan's Bed or Push Me, Pull Me kind of deal, even though they were playing Push Me, Pull Me a lot in this era. I guess they kind of went with what was most familiar to them in the first night of the tour. And, and like, it's not a bad set by any means for that, but it's just very interesting that they went in that direction. You know, it probably wasn't even coherent to them that they did that, but these probably were the most familiar to them during this tour. Yeah. I think part of it is just picking up right where you left off. You know, you mentioned that MSG show from May 21st is considered one of their greatest shows ever. I think they knew that, and it's like, well, let's start off with something to try to recapture some of that magic a little bit. We start off the leg of the tour pretty conservatively. Let's just stick with what works. We came off of a really good show, and let's just keep it going. As I kind of mentioned with the songs, it felt like Once and Fixer were kind of the warm-up to get into stuff like Why Go and Corduroy. I, I don't have full, full talking points on it. I thought that Corduroy was, was very, very good in the big moment that that you want. But it was really tough to kind of explain what I thought about Mike Solo and Why Go. It felt like maybe he wasn't using a guitar with as full of a sound. And that kind of comes into play somewhere later in this show that I noticed. I believe it's during Comatose that something happened with Mike's guitar. But Why Go always feels like it's got this like electric energy to it. And the solo, while it's very much the version of a solo that you'd hear in Why Go, I think the tone doesn't have a lot of like bounce to it. It's the same exact thing and it sounds good, but it's losing like an effect or so. I don't know if I caught that right. I don't know if I know how to really explain that, but I kind of noticed that about this, mm. which I, I don't think is bad, I think is interesting. I didn't pick up on that, but I remember thinking that this Why Go was not a big moment like it should have been, and that maybe contributed to why. You know, this is a weird early part of the set here, because Long Road is like this big emotional moment, like it builds this thing, and then you're going to go into Once, which is really early for Once in the 2010s, you know, you wouldn't see it, I don't think, this early until those Philadelphia shows in 2016 and i could be wrong on that yeah but. they mixed in a little bit but yeah, i think but. the the place for once here in this era and you know moving forward mostly was close to the end of the set or in yeah. the encore yeah definitely it threw me off a little bit getting once this early and then fixer is you know at the time yeah of course it's a single they're playing it every single night but now you know in hindsight 12 years later it's like oh well that's weird like Long Road and Fixer in the in the top three is a very strange juxtaposition of style, I thought. It just, I don't know if it worked. But again, once in Why Go or the big crowd moments, you're getting the crowd into it really early on, you know, two out of the first four from 10. So it looks a bit strange on paper, but I think it does the job of getting the crowd into it and leading into a very good corduroy and very good severed hand as well. Yeah, Corduroy, Ed takes a minute to greet the crowd. And, you know, the, when they're building that tension to get to the end there, he addresses everybody and says hello real quick. And they're not going to say, like, officially say hi to everybody until after Severed Hand. But I think it was kind of a nice little throne because at that point, like, I, I don't know, I have a thing with the show where 
it was two hours on the dot. It's because they had a curfew that they had to hit. And it seemed to me like what you want out of a show like this in Ireland is good storytelling. And I think we missed that aspect during this, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's more to be discussed about this, too, because we have listeners that are from Ireland, obviously Claire and a couple others that I talked to, and they've been a little puzzled by the fact that they haven't gone back to Ireland. My guess as to why would be because of the size of the O2 arena, because it's not very big. That would be my first guess, but it does seem a little weird that it's been 12 years in a you know a country that's a, a big travel country and everything like that. I mean, they could go out and play a Slade's Castle, and how great of a show would that be? Yep, the language is not a barrier. You know, that's right. It's a little weird. Yeah, I, I just bring that up now, but yeah, he greets the crowd during this, and after Severed Hand, he'd go on to talk a little bit more. But it's interesting that Severed Hand was kind of like the bonus of this four-song section. There's the guitar lead, I think, Mike is doing where it goes a little off the rails in a good way. He sounds a little manic doing that little one note lead that he does. Sounded really good. Like that added a lot of like, because Severed Hand is about drug trip and whatever you want to say, but having that guitar sound a little unhinged and sound a little crazy, a little manic, I thought added something to the song. And like, yeah, this was a, this was a great version. I thought it was a highlight. Ed says, where are my manners? Which, he says that a lot. And I wonder really expected if... Mind Your Manners to, to start. Even though we're, we were three years out, I expected Mind Your Manners to be next. Well, that's that was going to be my point. Like yeah. Because he keeps saying that at a lot of these shows, where are my manners? And, and when it came to 2013, when Mind Your Manners would be like the second or third song, he'd be like, Mind Your Manners, where's my manners? He'd do some kind of dad joke like that. I wonder if he thought in his head... Well, I got to write a song like, sure, mind your manners. It's just some something I always say. This could have been the germ of the idea that, that started Mind Your Manners. We can get a hit on something there. Good evening, Dublin. You got a nice place here. We played here before when it was a piece of shit dive, and I liked it back then, too. We're in Bublin, Dublin, and we couldn't be happier. We got a big night ahead of us, even though this isn't a big place. Take care of your neighbors out there. This is for the Irish surfers. And that's going to be amongst the waves, and then we're going to get into our even flow spot right afterwards. Okay, I had a little thing. I don't know how much of a tangent I'm going to get on here. It's not a bad tangent. It's just kind of an interesting observation from these two songs back-to-back here. Because when you think of Mike soloing, there's kind of two different categories. You have the songs like Even Flow, Alive, Immortality, Black all stuff that he goes off on and it's pretty much for the most part pretty unique to the song that they're playing in that moment and then you have what i want to call to be mike staple solos and that's solos that are lifted directly from the studio recording that he brings into the version that they're playing in that very moment which he doesn't change anything they're exactly what you expect, and that's why they're staples, because you, you, you know what's happening in them. And Amongst the Waves is definitely one of them, and I just find it interesting. And it's not this big, elaborate solo or anything like that. And the other one that kind of comes to mind is we've mentioned so much on this show, the ending to I Am Mine not having oh, don't get me more started. of an extension or anything. So it's just something I noticed. 
And if you love the song, then it's predictable and you love the predictability and it's getting you from point A to point B where your mind isn't centralized on, okay, what are they going to do next? Like it is with an even flow, but there are songs that are in that category. And I wonder just whether or not those stick out as much to people as obviously the even flows and immortalities of the world do. Like when you think of a Mike solo, do you ever think, hey, Amongst the Waves is a go-to for that? Probably not, right? It would be really interesting to ask him what makes you choose to stay faithful to the recorded version on some of them and then on some other ones just go off into the field and unleash the full McCready, as they say. Yeah, it's it's Definitely, you know, some songs are in that upper echelon. You know, you mentioned a few of them, Black Porch, Immortality, Corduroy, even Nothing As It Seems probably is is in that category where he will just take it somewhere into the stratosphere. And then some other ones where he definitely chooses not to do that and definitely chooses to stick with what he knows and, and what people know. Yeah, it's, I'd be really interested if anyone ever gets to talk to him. That would be an interesting question to ask him. Or if he does another Reddit AMA someday, I'd, I'd be curious to hear. Yeah, and I think the performances here, both amongst the even, uh, amongst the even flow and uh, flow waves, I guess that one makes sense. <laughs> uh, like they were both pretty fine, and you know I didn't have much to say on the even flow solo for this. So if you have something to bring to the table, then please by all means. He was just pulling out all the tricks. I thought this was just him going full on, full blast. Pretty much after thousands of episodes, 200 episodes of talking about even flow, that's as basic as we can put that. And that's not a bad thing at all. Actually, before even flow starts, we should mention this, obviously, because this is a great moment. This next song features a man with a good name, Mr. McCready. He's Irish and he's Scotch. Scotch, not Scott. 98% Irish and the 2% Scotch was what his dad was drinking the night that he got lucky with his mom. That was fun. I'm glad that we've got distance from his his drinking problem that we can make these jokes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, there is something I do want to mention about Evenflow, and it's more of an overall point of the whole show, is that I, I thought that Jeff was mixed in where you can really hear him on this boot. And Evenflow is not one that you're really paying attention to Jeff too much, but I liked kind of hearing the bounce during this. I thought that whenever you do get to pay attention to Jeff, whenever you do get to hear Jeff, it, it just brings so much more out of the song. I did enjoy that. I, I noticed it in a couple more versions as well. There's a big Jeff moment in the encore that I'm real excited to talk about. Let's talk about it when we get there. The next section features two great soaring ballads, if you want to say. I wouldn't necessarily call them ballads, but they're great sing-alongs. And before Luke, Unthought... And you're, you're thinking of Lucan, of course. Yeah, of course. Wait, wait, well, hold on. Uh, well, <laughs> before Unthought Known, Unthought Lucan, Ed says, imagine you can see through the roof on this one. And... Unthought has always been, and we talked about it from last week, where he was saying, the moon, the moon, like, take a look at the moon, must have been a full moon, must have been a beautiful moon, something like that. And he always kind of mentions during the song that you sort of need the outdoor atmosphere to appreciate it in that manner. And I don't disagree with him at all. However, I think that Unthought Note was going through its prime spot 
in 2010, especially after going through some of the U.S. dates and going into here. Like, people notice it now. People notice, and there is a point that I'm going to bring up once we get to Gotsome, I believe. I'm not going to bring it up here. That is an overall existing point about the Backspacer universe that, at this era, was sort of a divide. So, I think another just great part that I love about the song is that there's no true breather when you get the Mike Staple solo in this because you're always expecting that it's it's like what two or three seconds long it's not very long at all but that little breather where they take it down for a second and then immediately build it back up I, I, I just love how that has progressed I'm sure it was something that Ed brought to the table and somebody like Matt kind of put that behind him and they're like okay rev up a little more okay sure that brings the electricity to the song I love that about on Thunder last couple weeks have been terrific versions nothing wrong about this one of course the best praise I can give it is like sometimes I forget that it was on Backspacer and I think it's from one of their better records. I agree. I really like this version and they're giving it a prime spot here after even flow as well. Normally you would see like a daughter or a wish list or something here and it shows that they know what they've got as you, you know you like to say with Unthought Known here. It's doing that job. It's in that, that same category of songs and it soars really well here. Nothing Man, I thought Again, terrific. Both sound like they're soaring. Both sound like they're getting the attention of the crowd. We know that Nothing Man, at this stage in the game, as we did on the Nothing Man Evolution episode in 2010, it is like one of the biggest crowd moments next to like an elderly woman or going to a live or something like that. So the crowd absolutely eats this up every single time, and there's no different here from the Irish crowd. And Ed yells something in the middle of this, and it's... Very quick, and it sounded something like something to back up. It was hard to tell. It didn't even almost sound like Ed at all, but very kind of weird moment. If if Claire remembers or if, if somebody else can figure it out, let us know. But yeah, just a very, very quick two-second thing in the middle of the song. But this crowd's gotten, you know, we talked about starting off with Once and Fixer and Why Go. You're getting the crowd involved early on, and they're keeping it going here. Yeah, whenever you get Nothing Man in a set like this, it's always kind of a standalone crowd moment. It's very, very good. Coming up next, we have the Lucan and Not For You combination and then down following right after that down. We can get into for a minute or so because we haven't talked about that in a very, very long time. But Lucan and Not For You, obviously the transition of all great transitions in Pearl Jam history. And Ed kind of tees up Lucan as another sing along, which Ed does at first, but can't contain it all the way through. That's no surprise to just about everybody, but great rolling transition into Not For You. That sounded really good. A holdover conversation from last week about this song sounding like a Backspacer rendition, which kind of got the train rolling in my head when you said that, and I don't think it's unfair to state that. You know, this is traditionally, and when I think of traditionally, you have to think of 1994 through 2000 and maybe you know put 2003 in there like this was a song where it channeled anger it channeled some bitterness it's channeling some resentment and when you get to the 2010s and this is just kind of their callback to the 90s their callback to like hey this was a great song remember this like it's just essentially standing nostalgia and you don't hear the same vigor that you used to so if you want to call it backspacer rendition 
I'm fine with that, but I also don't think that should be an insult in a way. It's definitely its own different sort of version. Like, the 90s version is great for what it is, and I think that this one has its moments as well. I think, you know, when I, when I mentioned that, it was more like it, it sounded like, you know, it had the teeth just taken out of it. It had just no bite to it. And it was very kind of even and a little bit more like pop slash rocky than it should be. Because when Not For You is good, it's very angry and very powerful. And this is one of the things I wrote down to. I'm very glad that a year later, they've gone back and figured out how to make it good again. This was so much better than last week's version. I thought it really hit on the big moments, just like Long Road did, hitting those accents and, and making sure it, it's got that impact and got that power. A great fluid, melodic stone solo as well. You know, everything you want from a stone solo on this. So, yeah, very, very impressed with this, not for you. And, you know, it can still be very, very good to this day. Like, they went through a phase where they kind of stretched it out did like a little call and response thing in the last few years. The crowd does their own hey chants in this. They're they not prompted to do anything, yeah. which I thought yeah. was great. But even the version, you know, that we got in Louisville a few weeks ago, I thought was maybe the highlight from that show. So yeah, Enough For You can still be very, very good and very, very powerful when they needed to be. I was impressed with this when I saw it on the list and I was like, oh, it's, it's one of those, here we go, it's a 2009, 2010, Not For You, what are we going to get? But I was impressed with this one. the rarity on not for you in the 2010s where it doesn't have a modern girl tag yep. where it just ends on a sting don't hear that very often do we yep Musical. so ed seems to be having a lot of fun on down very emotive with his hands during this uh, lyric change to if hope could grow from shit like me it can be done to my knowledge i don't and I, I guess this is just one of those things. It's like, uh, what, what do they call that? The Mandela effect, where I always thought that Ed played guitar on down. But <laughs> isn't no. this one of his songs? No, this is a, this is a McCready song. I think. This is a Mike song. Yeah. See, that's that's always in my head that like because Ed always gives the tribute to Howard Zinn and everything like that. I always think that this is an Ed song. So yeah, I think I think that's a Mandela effect, right? Could be. Or am I just dumb? I think it's somewhere in the middle. 
I'm dumb for thinking it's a Mandela effect. The, but I, I don't I, see. I you go, see. Yeah, that that's me too. Because I don't Mandela effect. I don't. I don't even think that's a real thing. I just think that just. People, well, it's a term for these type of things. Yeah. yeah. Great version. Uh, yep. We haven't talked about down in a long time, so there's your conversation on down. Got some in comatose. I'm going to get into the little backspacer stat that I have right here. There were five backspacer songs played on this night. The Fixer, Unthought Known, Got Some, Amongst the Waves, and Just Breathe. And those were basically the five standard that you would get from 2010 on. The crazy stat in this is that the other six songs from the record, there is one show where they play three of them, and that is going to be that Berlin show, the Roskilde 10th anniversary that we mentioned a little while ago. They played Gonna See My Friend, they played Johnny Guitar, and they played The End at that show. And then the only other song from all of those songs, from Force of Nature and Supersonic, that they play on this run in 2010, and, and really... I don't think they play any of those in 2011 as well. I have to go back and, and recheck a little bit on that, but they only played the end one other time. So they have decided at this point that they're completely off those other songs, that these five work for us. We know that they worked in the States and they're going to come over to Europe and this is what they're going to do with these. So, and Backspacers contentions on its own. People can say what they will about Backspacer. I, I think that it does its job. I think as far as a, an album and how it's paced, I think that it does a really good job of getting front to back there. But there are some songs that people don't necessarily attach to. And a lot of them are the ones that weren't played at the show. But yeah, it seemed like they had made a decision that these are going to be the ones moving forward and that's it. These five absolutely stood out even to this day. Like how weird would it have been this year? If all of a sudden they're like, all right, here's the end or here's Johnny guitar. Yeah. Or here's force of nature. You just would be like weird. Like I bet the end that they could explain, but the other two know. Yeah. It just would have been strange because they never really developed into anything live. Like it just would be weird to hear them at this point and even fix her to a certain extent. You know, we saw them put it on a couple of set lists and then cut it. I don't even know if they even played it all year or if it was only cut, but it would just be weird to hear at this point. Like that record is such an outlier 
in the way it sounds compared to a lot of the other stuff and the way it's that it's new, but it's a fossil. Yeah. Yeah. Way that a lot of the other records sound, you know, and it was definitely a, the back to basics record for them. And yeah, I, I wonder what they think about it. Cause we know that they've axed half of it completely. Yeah. It's just a, a strange time. It, it really needed of the earth on there to give it some weight. I think. Or the original version of Speed of Sound would have been nice, too. Pendulum, too. Pendulum was worked out for That's right. That's right. Comatose-wise, that follows Gotsum. I don't really have much on Gotsum, but Comatose is the one that I mentioned before that something's up with Mike. You know, during that little, uh, he kind of has this dueling solo little thing with Stone in between the first chorus and second verse, and you don't get that at all during this. And I wonder if, because it didn't sound like you were able to hear Mike very well until he had the actual solo to tee up the end of the song. Hmm. It sounded like a really rough version of this. And Comatose is not one of those that really stood the test of time. It had a lot of struggle once it got after this point and definitely after the Avocado era. But this is a tough one to get through. Yeah, not a highlight. I thought it almost fell apart, and you, you've seen this with Comatose before. Well, they'll start it off way too fast, and they'll have to stop and restart and, and get to it. But, again, a, a weird song that, like, they sometimes you'll see it next to a go or you'll see it next to a last exit or something. You'd be like, oh, you know, they're trying to associate it with some of those classic kind of more up-tempo songs in their catalog and it just doesn't really do that it's it's another kind of strange one i liked the crapshoot rapture the original version better i think the comatose version is the lyrics a little weird and like this version whether it was guitar issue or if someone got lost or whatever just yeah didn't really hit okay that's getting into a great story a sad story but a great story that took place at this point in the set and and they obviously have to tee this one up because the crowd isn't really going to know it. And this is going to be on everybody's peripheral because they play it here and then a little bit after this as well. Ed says, my birthday's on December 23rd. We had just gotten word that Joe Strummer was going to do a European tour with us with the Mescalaros. He says it was five years ago, but Joe had passed away. This was 2002. So... I'm going to bring this up in just a second, but keep that in mind. On the morning of the 23rd, his birthday in 2002, we got the sad phone call that he had passed away the day before. It was heartbreaking on so many levels, and right now we dug up a song of his that isn't a Clash song, but perhaps one that was on his last record. It's just proof that he left us way too early because it's one of the best things he had ever done. We're going to play this one called Arms Aloft and Average. Sometimes there's no star shining Scouting the edge of the universe Sometimes you can't see the horizon Between the ocean and the
have a thought kind of attached to that and that is when you think of 2002 and what they were playing because originally the way it sounds it sounds like 2006 and we know that ed can sometimes get his years a little discombobulated and all that i wonder if they were planning on doing something 2003 riot act in europe after the big u.s leg yeah and, i think that's you know, what i think that's what he's talking about because they figure out you know, you got to figure out the opening acts way ahead of time. So, yeah, right. that, that makes sense. But they never even did Europe. So I'm wondering yeah. if it was supposed to be slated for, like, the August-September spot there. Yeah, maybe after after Joe they just decided to scrap it. Yeah, That's kind of what I'm getting at, yeah. 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 Which is, yeah. But um, I'm, I'm really glad that we got the context of why they chose the song and not totally random this is a strummer song that you don't know this isn't you know know your rights this isn't should i stay or should i go this is something completely off the radar and the idea of playing it is because it's off the radar but it kind of brought a little bit of weight and a little bit more emotion to it as well it was a nice story and of course both of us are pretty big clash fans so anything that's joe strummer related and just hearing the fact that we could have heard Ed and Joe do Know Your Rights or something else at some point during a European tour. I'm sure we would have covered five shows of that by this point if it would have happened. But I don't think I thought much of the song beforehand, but I kind of am trying to see what Ed sees in it. And I think you can see it in this. Yeah, and those don't sleep on those Mescaleros records. Like Those are great records. I think there's three of them tool and they're all really really good he had a really great band playing with him and was really on kind of another creative role with those records they're all great and arms aloft is one of the standout mescaleros tracks i think there's a few that are really really like johnny appleseed is probably the best one if people want to go check that out and I, we've talked about arms aloft i think recently we did one of the shows that one of the later times that they'd done it and i kind of was like oh you know it, it doesn't really do anything for me this cover and it's weird and I really prefer the Mescaleros version. I wish they just kind of would have left it alone. But here, like like you said, you get a little bit more appreciation for why they did it. And this one, I think, is maybe the best one that I've heard. They do kind of go off on a little spacey jam on it, which the original does have. You know, it, it's not a kind of a punked up version like Pearl Jam does it. They kind of it's kind of keep it straight, and it's a little weirder. The, yeah, there's like the, distorted vocals in in the chorus yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think this version lives up to that a little more. It's a little more faithful to the spirit of the original. So I thought it was good for a debut cover. Yeah, I, I liked it. Do the evolution is going to close out your main set here. Life and energy after something that A, wasn't familiar and B, had you know the emotional weight tied to it. So it's a good way to punch out of this main set and keep your crowd happy and, and hanging on for more. Not much more to say about that. Yep, exactly. All right, we're at the Encore. Time to pause for station identification. We'll be quick with this one. Uh, We have one patron to thank, and that'll get us into a little bit about this patron and something that we're going to be doing at the end of this week that will be for you guys to listen to because it's a fantastic freaking story. So we want to thank Richie Berg for joining up on Patreon. Thank you so much to Richie. Thank you. If you know that name, 
then good looking out. If you don't know his name, him and his son, Dermot, were the winners of the all-in challenge where they got to win the opportunity. And I know a lot of people thought it was a pick the set list thing, but they got the opportunity to see Pearl Jam's backstage area and talk to Ed about the set list before the show started. That's all things that will be in an interview with both of them that's going to come out at the end of this week. So we're very, very excited to give that to you guys. You know, we've had some really killer interviews this year with Josh Arroyo, with Ken Lesnick, who went to Unplugged, which we had never talked to anybody that went to Unplugged before, and now this. And we're just very excited to give it to you because it's it's from all different perspectives. You get what a lot of what we were saying, like how Ed treats his set list, how he's thinking, and him going through the old set list of places that he had been to before. Like, those are things that we've always kind of fantasized, and those fantasies get kind of proven to be realities in this. So it's a fantastic listen. They're fantastic stories. I urge everybody to keep your eyes open on Friday for this to come out. It's going to be a fantastic story. You won't want to miss it. Yeah, thanks to Richie and Dermot for for taking the time on doing that. It's it's really, really cool. A lot of inside stuff about, you know, what goes on in and around these Pearl Jam shows that they got access to that a lot of us never will. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so lucky for them and, and thankful for them that they were really eager to come on and they told great stories. And that's, that's what yep. we do over here. We like to tell the stories. And if you guys like the stories that we tell and want to support us, with the hopes of telling more, then head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs. And if you join up on the giggle egg or the horizon leg tier, then you are owed one episode for us to cover a show that you went to a show that you love anything within the Pearl Jam catalog that we haven't done before. You can recommend that to us and we will do an episode for you. Like today's is with Claire. And you'll get to tell your story. If it's a show that you went to, a lot of people like to bring in their first show. I believe this was Claire's first and only show. And we're really eager to tell the stories that come out of this. So if that's something that you're interested in and you also want to donate to what we're doing over here and kind of help the podcast grow a little bit, because every every little bit doesn't just make us want to do more. It gives us the ability to do more. So that's all you're putting into it. And it just gets me put back and we get to kind of expand on our ideas with website stuff and going forward with other things and, and traveling and stuff like that for shows as well. That all gets brought into the mix. So if that's something that you want to help us out with patreon.com slash live on four legs, or go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs and you will find us. Yeah. Yeah. Us because we're the only place that is called live on four legs. And if you want to help out the website and give us a little hint on the website, you're able to listen to everything on the website from regular platform stuff to Patreon stuff. All you got to do is click the little orange button that says become a patron and va, you're there and you're contributing to something that we hold very valuable to us and we hold all the people that do contribute in very, very high regard. So to everybody that continues to do so, thank you. And for anybody that is listening in and wants to in the future, we thank you guys as well. And we're looking forward to talking to you all very, very soon. All right, back to the rock. 
Ed says, if we've had a better response in Dublin, I can't remember. Thank you from the front to the back. Of all the times we've been here, it's been dark and gray and rainy. I think where we live in Seattle, it's dark and gray and rainy. And you're the Emerald Isle, and we're the Emerald City. I'm not sure what that means, but we're that. Yesterday was beautiful, and I didn't recognize it at all. Whether it's a beautiful day or a glorious day, it always gets dark at some point. Then you have to find your way into the light at some point. This is just that. And that would be Just Breathe. And boy, I got capital letters here. I got capital letters and exclamation points. And if you are Mm -hmm. tuned in to Just Breathe and what it means to this show, you would know that there's only one thing that matters about this version. The fucking bass is back. jumped out of my chair and resigned myself that this was not going to be a version with the bass. And it didn't sound like it was coming off that way. It didn't. And you're kind of watching the video and, and Jeff is off in the shadows and like I couldn't tell if he's got the instrument still on or if he was even there. So I'm kind of listening and I'm kind of like, okay, here we go. We're going to get an Ed Solo. Just breathe here. And then this glorious sound comes out of nowhere and it's Jeff on that little bass that he has for this song. And it just brightened my mood instantly. I love this so much. I absolutely love that bass line. And I think it adds so much to the song and it immediately elevates Just Breathe into one of my favorite songs live. And I've never heard them do it with the bass. Maybe someday I will, but if it's Ed Solo, eh, pass. But with the bass, give it to me every time. The one thing I did have about this version, even though I love the bass so, so much, is that kind of the beauty, and I want to emphasize the word beauty here that Ed had mentioned before, and and Just Breathe, of course, is a a beautiful song. And it felt like it was a little bit kind of change of pace. It was kind of a little quicker. And because of that, I didn't feel like the beauty warmth that you do get from this sometimes. And that doesn't really change my thought about the song or anything like that but the identity should be that it's this comforting yet sort of emotional bit and i think that a little bit of that was taken away from this version as good as the bass was as good as everything else was i didn't think that this version quite had that pinpointed but anyway we'll move on because look given flies played here it's your fan service buffer song essentially before we get a little bit weird and it's just something they've never witnessed before. Given a fly is given a fly. It's great. It does its job. But the show is really going to kick into a whole new level right here. Ed, well, he says this. I wasn't exactly sure. Uh, uh, 
how excited you'd be if I said if, if, if we said we were gonna play uh, a new song, but but it's it's uh, not even like a new song off the last record. I mean like a new song. Like, I mean it's actually so new it it might not even be a song yet. So we'll see.
on the edge of the earth. I got a little story before we actually talk about the song at all. I remember specifically the day after this show, and it could have been like later in the week, whatever, but I, I remember being clued into what was happening and had heard people talk about they played a new song. So I went on YouTube and I listened to it. And I'm like, okay, I'm digging this. This is pretty good. And I didn't listen to the song for a while after that. Not because I didn't want to, just because I didn't really think of it. It wasn't on an album. It wasn't something that I had readily available to me besides YouTube. And I didn't really go out on YouTube and search for that sort of thing back then. But the one thing that always kind of kept in my head was the chorus on the edge of the earth on the edge of and that always rung in my head and sometimes a song plays in my head and i i decide not to follow through with it like i i i don't go out and listen to it i just kind of let it linger whether it's a song I, I recognize or a song that is a little part of a song that I'm just detached from at that moment and don't know what the song is, I don't go and seek it as much because I got other things that I want to listen to or, or, or what have you. But this is a public service announcement to tell you that you should because it's going to go crazy in your mind for a very, very long time. And the only way to get rid of that crazy is to listen to the song. It took me about two, maybe three years, two and a half years before I listened to this again hmm. and not again, not on purpose. I just kind of let that part linger in my head for a very, very long time. I think it got to the point of madness one day where I'm like, give <laughs> me the fucking song again. And then after that point, I said, why haven't I been listening to this this whole entire time? This is a fucking phenomenal song in its structure. This is an Ed song, and this might be one of the most powerful things that Ed has ever wrote. From the way it's structured, Ed doesn't usually structure his songs like this, and maybe it's one of these things where Ed didn't solely write it. Maybe he wrote it with Mike and Stone, and everybody kind of had a piece on it, kind of like how Dance of the Clairvoyances or something like that. But... As a song that it is involved on musically, you don't usually see them in this many layers. You kind of usually see like a Not For You, where it's very verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, or an MFC where it's just very arpeggiated and everything like that. And this has so much more depth to it than all those other songs. It's a little mind-blowing when you think of it as at least an Ed Guitar song, that this is something that he helped write that way because you just don't think of Ed as being that kind of writer. Yeah, he doesn't usually go for like these sprawling epics that this is and like there's six or seven different parts of this and twist and turns and then comes back and drops out and goes back up and it's just got everything and yeah, I'm the same way. I remember, you know, probably following along on the forums during the show and hearing, you know, oh, they're doing this new song. What the fuck? And going out and finding it as soon as you could after that and just being really just enthralled by it and being like, man, this is the song that I've been waiting for them to do since Riot Act. And, you know, we know that it was written around the time of Avocado. Absolutely should have been on that record and every record since then. I thought it really would have fit nice on Gigaton as well. I think it's the best thing they've done in the last 20 years, hands down. It was rumored. I think one of there was an interview 
around the time of Avocado or shortly after where someone in the band, I think it was Ed, but it could have been someone else, was like, oh, yeah, we're probably just going to do an EP or something next and, like, just going to do three or four songs and, like, just something to kind of bridge the gap and, and get some more music out there. You know, it had been four years between Riot Act and Avocado. And I definitely did not dream that. I remember reading that and hearing that. And I wonder, because this kind of occurred to me after the PJ20 soundtrack came out, and we know that there's a Mike McCready song called Be Like Wind, which is like an instrumental track on there. And then, so you got Of the Earth, Be Like Wind. And then later, a few years later, I think it was 2014, Mike put out like a little instrumental record called Music for Film. And there's a song called Be Like Water, which is actually, I think it's in the credits of, of the PJ20 movie too. He's credited with a track called Be Like Water, an instrumental track in the movie. So I wonder if there was going to be an EP of like elements, kind of the element songs like earth, wind, water. If there's, if there's a Pearl Jam song about fire somewhere unreleased that we don't know of, I wonder if that was the plan and then they scrapped it. But I'm glad that of the earth has had this life to it. I've been absolutely lucky enough to, to get it twice out of my 12 shows now. But yeah, I remember when they did it at Wrigley, I'm just freaking out in my seat and everyone around me is like tapping me on the shoulder like, you seem to know this. What is this song? Um, (laughs) But yeah, just I absolutely think this is one of the highlights. And yeah, please, more like this if we can. I'm holding out hope that it's going to be on a new record and that's why they haven't played it. But absolutely love it. Yeah, you know, you mentioned elements and I think musically it has so many elements to it because its verse chorus is very quick. And then you kind of break down into something a little bit bigger that sort of builds you into a bigger solo and it takes you in a lot of different directions. And weirdly, although it's a little bit like too hard rock for Neil Young, it does remind me of a Neil Young song that does that. And I'm thinking something like a cowgirl in the sand or like uh, down by the river where you have just a pretty basic verse chorus that everybody sort of remembers and gets kind of ingrained into your head, kind of like of the earth does. Mm. And then after that hits, you have like a seven minute long, like journey solo. Like, and I don't mean journey the band. I mean, like it takes you on this crazy adventure. I, I feel like it has that sort of vibe when you break it down into those pieces. And that's complicated to write. The backbone of the song is what's coming out of the feet of the amps. The guitars seem tightened up. They're open chords a little bit, but everything is kind of gritty. Everything is kind of distorted as much as you can distort it. And it also, I've always kind of had this image in my head that this was sort of a, you know, a song that if you were running away from an earthquake, like this would be the song that defines what yeah. the earthquake is. And I don't it's mean very to cinematic. It's got a very cinematic feel to it. Best way to put it. Yeah. Which those two Neil Young songs that I mentioned mm-hmm. are very cinematic as well. And, you know, I don't say earthquake because it's called of the earth, but it has this just sort of larger than life vibe to it. It makes you feel like something massive is going on in the song that's telling this kind of story. And he even breaks a string, I think, near the end. I remember that from watching the video and just rips it off and keeps going. They're in the zone on this. this they huddle one. up together. 
Yeah, this is one of the best of the 13. I think this is one I usually go back to, even though I've seen it twice. Yeah, this is excellent. And maybe it can't be beat by like Jack White or something like that. But yeah, yeah, this just, it just goes to show you that, you know, sometimes if you have a song, play it, play it, because everybody's going to latch on to it. It doesn't matter. Give it a shot. Maybe it isn't something like this or a falling down that people are going to be like, oh, I'm going to listen to this for the next couple of years. Maybe it does turn out into and I, I don't want to equate the same thing, but more of like a get it back, which they haven't played live before, but it has this vibe of just kind of staying in purgatory area where I don't think it's going to be anything that anybody ever thinks about in the next coming years of Pearl Jam. Your, your can't deny me. Uh, yeah. Type of song. Yeah. Yeah. And forgotten. right. And I think that, Hell, maybe if they would have done that with Get It Back, if they had the time, if they played it during 2020, if they went on those tours and they just said, all right, we're busting this out and this is going to be on a soundtrack coming up in, in October, then maybe it becomes something bigger than it was. I don't know. I don't yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a thing, yeah. but just sort of in my mind coming off of this whole Love the Earth thing. All right. As we mentioned before, it's really the last of its kind. We would love to get one in the future, but I think that this kind of stands out as something really, really special from this era that needs to be treasured by you know, the most hardcore Pearl Jam fans and the most casual as well. All those people that were saying, what was this song in that crowd? They should all find a way to get their ears on it because Hopefully it's they it. did. Yeah. Hopefully they did after that night. Porch is going to close out your set, and I think everything from here on out is going to be, in a way, sort of like what we saw last week, where it was kind of a sprint to the finish. They were on a time crunch. They had a curfew. A lot of these shows in Europe are very, very strict with it, and they have very, very strict penalties that come out of it. And, you know, I, th- I thought that Porch was, was feeling good afterwards, and I, the only thing I would have against it is that of the earth was so kind of mind blowing <laughs> that you'd need a second to just put the pieces together of what you just listened to and porch is there and, and probably live. You're like, ah, yeah, this is all excitement. That's all happening at once. But after the bootleg, it almost does porch a little bit of a disservice to get it after this version of, of, of the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And probably the live version of Porch is probably the most similar to Of the Earth that they have. You know, you say, you know, live review and things like that. So it makes sense. And I thought that Stone kind of took this version of Porch off into left field after, you know, Mike finished his solo. Stone starts doing this kind of little rhythmic strumming pattern he's doing. It really gives it a different feel. I enjoyed this Porch. I thought it was good. But again, like, how often do you see encore one shorter than encore two so i gotta think that <laughs> some things were definitely cut for time here encore two yeah you're gonna get five songs instead of the four that were in encore one ed kind of says something about chopping wood and how this oh, he is said he was, of he was chopping wood three days ago and now he's here in front of okay, all of so, you. And, yeah, know. so maybe that brings into the jet lag conversation that we kind of mentioned before. Then he mentions the strict curfew and just kind of keeps going and then says, maybe we should stop talking. That would be a great idea if you only have like 25 minutes left. Small Town and Better Man, good singing on Small Town. 
they most certainly don't want to end this early. And I think that the crowd has their back on that. And, and Ed also sings, my God, it's been six years. His math is very much off at the show, you know, from, hey, it was only five years ago that Joe Strummer passed away to six years ago was the last time. The wine's kicking in at this point. Yeah, right, right, right. So the crowd is taking it at the end, but there's a point where Ed just stops playing and doesn't really get to that last fade away at the end. But the crowd sort of forces him into that. And Ed kind of continues to let them take their moment. And it sounds almost like that he was doing a little bit of backup for them for a little while. And I thought that that was kind of a cool moment. They're being very crowd-friendly with Suncourt, too. The party is on at this point. The, yep. the celebration. We're going to see it in a second. Yeah. And getting into Better Man, you know, again, continuing on with the crowd. But I thought the jam in Better Man before they got to save it for later was so great. When they kind of drop out and go into save it for later, I was like, no, keep going. Like you were on, yeah. they were on to something like that was, it was a surge. And then like when save it for later kicks in, it just kind of drops and you get, okay, it's save it for later. But yeah, to check out that, that little pre save it for later jam on Better Man. It was very, very good. Yeah. They probably should have brought that into another show where they were able to expand it a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, just disappointing that you can't really capture more of a moment off that. You probably have to scratch something else off in order to get this to where it should have been. However, John, I think it is time. Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? It's time. Kick out the just need one to drive through real quick and collect a few more minutes of big crowd energy this is the one to do damn it and i think the story here is just mike behind the back surfboarding the guitar right at the front of the stage he's having a wild moment he's almost having like a freak out in a way and it is fun to watch it's them just taking the last moment that they have in Dublin and just soaking it all in. It's a cool thing because I think after the Backspace era, they really don't do kick out the jams much unless Mark Arm Mm -hmm. is with them because that kind of became their thing. I think they played it at one of the Seattle shows, the home shows, I believe night two. So that kind of became their thing together. But this is the era where they sort of did that a little bit. Yeah love it it just burns like it takes all that energy from the crowd and just shoves it right back in their face yeah i I love this it's quick and like everybody can jump up and dance to it whether you know it or not it's energetic it does the job and it's a party song like it could have been andrew wk 30 years later after the mc5 love andrew wk name drop on this podcast about that about that Mm. but yeah love kick out the channels which wish they would bring it back more 
alive. You know, they got to rush through the end of the set. It's a seven-minute version, but it still feels rushed. And and granted, there's a little bit of conversation at, at the tail end of that, so maybe it's more like five and a half. Right. But I just love some of the moments here where Ed gets on the platform on his side and Mike gets on the platform on his side. And, you know, Stone gets up with Jeff and playing with Jeff and they're all just taken in this crowd, like thrilled to just see them fired up on obviously this song, the biggest of this song and and kind of being the first night to get this back again has to be feeling real good in their minds and in their hearts that we were off this for a month. And I think that, you know, the whole idea of like post tour depression that people have of going to a lot of shows and then the band obviously they have to have a last date somewhere but people going home and just being like man i want that again i think they probably go through a little bit of that too so to be able to be back on the road and to be able to see people again and to be able to rock out and all that and see everybody happy i think that that means a lot to them and we know that Ed is an unreliable narrator sometimes in the history of the band, but we did have the, the couple of Earthling shows to finish out Pearl Jam's year. Ed did mention that they would be touring in some capacity in 2023. So I didn't like say said, whether I, it was Earthlings or whether it was Pearl he said, Jam. He said we, he didn't say I. I think if he had said I, it would have been Earthlings, but he said we, which I think he oh, Earthlings is a we. I know, but it's but it's still, it's it's more of an I. I think you'll see Pearl Jam on the road next year. Like you said, I think they can't wait to build off that momentum and, and get back out there. Hopefully we'll know something soon. Okay. So Ed is given a flag. A little, I, I just want to mention this because you would think that he'd be given an Irish flag, but it looks red and white. It looks more like it's a Canadian flag. It did. Yeah. Or Peru maybe. Yeah. Couldn't perhaps. Tell. I don't know what the Peruvian flag looks like, but perhaps it's red and white. Yeah. yeah. Ed, Ed took a sip of beer right before getting in a lead better and then just spits it out. And then you have Mike going away on Ledbetter. And I think we got to get to the tag on this because we got to bring out the mystery machine on something here. So, of course, Mike is a huge Thin Lizzy fan. The 2006 show that they played in Dublin, they end up covering Boys Are Back in Town. And it was an OTOTO. And right here they do a cowboy song as a tag. And then shortly after he does Cowboy Song, there's a little bit something else. And I think because they're doing, you know, Thin Lizzy being an Irish band, I think that this potentially, it has the vibe of being a U2 song, but we don't have that kind of knowledge to tell you that as one. But we're going to play it for you right now. For all those U2 aficionados out there, please let us know what you think this is if it is U2. My first thought when first listening to it, I thought it kind of sounded like the song uh, Take My Picture by Filter, where it kind of was like, but like that's a very U2 vibe as well. So I'm wondering where we go from with this, and hopefully by the end of the week we'll be able to say we have a new tag that we can give to this song on Live Footsteps. It reminded me of something like, like even better than the real thing or... Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Just like a little rhythmic 
U2 riff there. I think you're on the right track. I, I think it is a U2 song. And again, I don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of, of U2 to be able to pick that out after a few seconds. Hopefully someone does out there. Well, let's pick our three moments. I believe that I'm first up to bat here. I'm going to go pretty chalk on this. I'm going to go number three, Long Road. We talked about it. It's just a superior version of this song. Just made you feel real good. Number two, I love the story on Arms Aloft. I'm going to stick with that. It's not one of my favorite covers that they do, but again, anything that ties Joe Strummer into this, anything that ties their personal relationship into this, it was nice to hear that. So I'm glad that we got kind of the context and explanation for all that. And uh, number one is a little song called Of the Earth that we might have talked about. You know, a lot of times after I pick, you will be like, I want to have something different. Like, I want to give it some variety. Book that. I have the exact same three. <laughs> Is this a first? Maybe. I know that we've definitely had like two of the same before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually I, me. I that's... had them in that exact order, too. Damn. Yeah. As you, it's no, usually no me that's, that's creating the variety. If I would have heard you say that, yep. honestly, I think this is. Yep. I don't know. I think that this is the only combo that I could bring out of this show. Not to say that anything else was bad. I just think that those three moments were elite. Undeniable. Came away from the pack saying, whoa, these are special. Now, this leads into the rating of the show that Claire is on the edge of her seat right now to hear what we're going to give it. As a full show, I thought that it was fine. I thought it was okay. It didn't have a lot of major main set kind of moments until you really got to Arms Aloft. I thought some of that stuff was just like pretty much, I don't want to say run of the mill, but it's it's pretty much an average Pearl Jam set. And some of it didn't excite me much more than that. And that can be okay. However, I think that the of the earth moment is so important that I have to give it something a little bit more substantial than what I would think if it didn't have of the earth. This would be probably like a six and a half or seven without of the earth and of the earth bumps this up to an eight. I think on the sole fact that that's how the song debuted. That's where you get the story from. And as well, this is one of the, the handful of shows and it's a couple of handfuls, of course, that you can say, Dublin 2010 and immediately somebody could say of the earth debut and you know that and if any show has that it propels it to a different level so I'm going to give this an eight I think that the moment was a lot better than the show and I don't think I can go higher than an eight but eight there's nothing wrong with yeah, I was kind of in the same boat, perhaps, you know, not surprisingly. I was thinking this was in kind of the seven range, but I love Of the Earth so much. I give, I'm give i going to give it an extra point and a half for Of the Earth. <laughs> Eight and a half. Okay. Well, I hope that Claire's happy with that. Those are pretty good ratings, even compared to last week where there was a five in there. I think Claire it, should it, be... It, and I, and in retrospect, it probably should have been lower. I should have well, gone that, four that, and a half. That, now that he had said, oh, yeah, that was that was fun. That was cool. Now that he had said that, you're like, ah, screw it. I'm and going back, like, again, Mountain Song didn't didn't really hit. So should should have given it a four, four and a half. Whatever. Sorry. Didn't mean to be. All right. Well, look, next week, I don't think we have a lot of discussion to be doing with a rating because no matter how you slice it, 
it's a special show that we're doing and you have to think of the dates. And sometimes we like really pinpointing the dates on this. There were a couple of reasons why we wanted to do it. The date stuck out and we had an interview locked in with Stephen Hyden, which is on the platforms, every single platform. It came out last week. We talked about the book and we had been talking to Stephen for a pretty long time after we did the Wrigley episode with him that we were interested in doing a Milwaukee episode with him too, because that's that's his region, that's his area up there. And we're doing it. We're doing Yieldwalkie. Of course, my favorite album, and a very interesting full show to digest as well. So look, this is the last of the current era full albums to cover. And I think overall, the only one that we haven't done was Torino that did Avocado. That's the only one that we haven't done, which I'm sure in the future we'll get to at some point. But this is an important show. It's Milwaukee, and we'll have Stephen Hyden on to talk about it a little bit, and it should be pretty fun. He had a great experience there, of course. How could you not? But, yeah, this is a special show that we're going to end up doing next week, and hopefully all you guys agree with that and are going to tune in with us. If you like what you're hearing on this platform that you're listening to, it might be Spotify, it might be Apple, it might be Stitcher or something else. On most of these platforms, you can give us a little bit of a rating, and usually the top rating is about five stars, and I hope that you guys will consider giving us five stars. We put a lot of hard work and effort into hopefully attaining that level of of stardom, but hopefully you guys have it in you to help us out, give us a, a rating, and if you're on Apple listening to this on that platform, there is room for you guys to comment and let the people know what you think of the show. That's all it is. It's just word of mouth stuff. If you like it and you want to tell other people that you're going to like it, if they happen to find it through the algorithm, whatever it is, and they hear that Darth Vetter 9, which, yes, it is somebody, it's Dakota, if they hear Darth Vader 9 say how much he likes this show and how he's learned so much from it, then maybe the person that is about to listen to it will say, all right, I'm going to take a stab at this. So hopefully that's how a lot of you guys have ended up listening to it as well. So we're going to say thank you to all you guys for tuning in and just closing on out here now this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways and miss you already and miss you always it's yield next week can we make a difference no way but we'll see you then on the edge of the earth